She would pick us up from school, drive to the hood, the ghetto. The hood? You know? <laughs> Did you live in the hood? No, no, I lived in a very nice neighborhood. Wow, yeah. okay. Yeah. So what, she goes to the hood because? A lot of equanimity where I grew up. Huh? <laughs> but I said a lot of equanimity where I grew up. <laughs> um, but no, I would go to the hood and she's rolling down the window, handing a dude cash. He's handing her a baggie. You're watching this? Yeah, I'm sitting in the passenger seat. What did she tell you she was buying? She didn't tell us anything. I mean, she she didn't even think about us. Wow. Like, she picked us up out of sheer instinct to, like, not let your children die, you know? Yeah. And barely. I mean, she was late to pick us up all the time. You know, we're waiting outside of the school, like, waiting to be picked up. Yeah. They're calling her, calling her. She's not answering. You know, anyways, so, you know, I'm sitting in the passenger seat and begging this guy, please don't give it to her. Please don't give it to her. Crying. You're saying that to the drug yeah. dealer? Yeah. I'm watching your beautiful face at the moment and, and you know, feeling, you know, the, the pain of, of her journey. Um, you're, my guess is you're um, around about 14 or 15 years later after that moment where your sister did take her life you're still experiencing this so very potently yeah yeah do you do you you carry in your own mind do you you carry responsibility of course you said of course I feel guilty. Like, I feel like, like, why? I don't, it's so hard. Um, Take your time here. Yeah. It's hard. I, um. You say, of course. Like, why did I deserve to be saved and not her? If every politician did the Camino. Yeah. The world would be a much better place. <laughs> because what would politicians learn if they did the Camino? That they are one of us. <laughs> <laughs> F word. <laughs> it's you know wow. that they're they are not superior. They are they have two legs. They eat and poop the same as everyone else. You, that's good. You this know, this is good. They need it. This that should good. be a, that should be like a ritual that you have to do yeah. to even you should have to do vipassana and the camino to even yeah. apply to run for any kind of yeah. office or position of yeah. power because <laughs> i was hopeless you were hopeless i was hopeless i i thought that the only way to escape this pain was to remove myself from yeah uh but it's, it's, you know, it's crazy because it's not like Vipassana solves all your problems, you know, and like, no, <laughs> you know, Asen Cuenca like reinforces this. He's like, this is not going to get rid of your pain, but it is a way to recognize that the pain comes and it goes. It yeah. doesn't just yeah. stay, you yeah. know, it comes and it goes and don't be attached to your pain. Yeah. 
welcome to another episode of A Journey with Bernie. And I am coming to you from the capital of Nepal. <laughs> Beautiful, chaotic, very, very special uh, Kathmandu. You've got to love this place, dear people. Um, when you look at it from the rooftop bar where I am currently located of the Kathmandu Guest House, what an historical place this wonderful hotel is. I was going through the hallways of the hotel this morning and seeing who has been a guest. I think there have been British monarchy. I saw the face of Jeremy Irons, the great, uh, the great British actor. I and no I am in. Who that is? I am in the Chris Bonington room. I don't know who that oh, is. Well, you know, he's one of the exceptional mountain climbers in the history of that. uh, those that have taken on greater sense. <laughs> but I'm also here with another very, very special guest. And when I say the name, folks, you are going to get very, very excited. I am here with. <laughs> 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 Brittany! <laughs> you know what? I'm the so glad it's only. not Brittany Spears because when our guests actually hear your story, Brittany Spears, I know that you'd have a story and a half to tell as well. But I tell you what, it's going to have to be very, very good to beat the one that we're about to hear, dear people, over the next hour. Brittany Rojas. 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 Spanish? Yeah, I'm Latina. And yeah. Yeah. Um, my family's black and Dominican. My last name is Dominican. Yeah. yeah. And you're based in? Miami. Miami. Yeah. And if you're based in Miami, uh, what, what are you? Are you a meter maid? Uh, what are you? Hilarious. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm a flight attendant. With? American Airlines. Wow. Yeah, a big one. Domestic um, or international? Uh, a mix of both. Yeah. Um, I, I love I love a melange. I love, you know, going yeah. to the West Coast from Miami. Uh, we have a lot of representation in Central and South America. Yeah. Um, a few European routes we have out of Miami. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure. I, I, I'm so fun, and you, I get to be fun with everyone, and I love, yeah. So, I it's interesting. A- you, you, you've had a, a vast experience of working with serving people. Yeah? Um, give me, give, give, out, give, give us the listeners, um, what's a couple of things that you've learned about people? The question's too broad, isn't it? But, but what are the things that stand out for you as, you as you get to interact with the human race in the role that you play? And you can say this about people or you can say that about people. What can you say I mean, about humanity? You know, take this with a grain of salt, but everyone is very selfish. Wow. And it's not, it's not a bad thing, you yeah. know, but people really have a lot of trouble accepting that they're not the center of the universe. Like, yeah. People are, people are quite selfish. Yeah. You know? Not, and there's different degrees and there's different levels of it, but like, it's really hard for people to recognize that they are just one of a yeah. huge, vast network of people. And yeah. they forget that like their needs and their desires are not the priority all the time yeah. for the community yeah. and um 
once you kind of recognize that and you accept it, it actually makes my job easier to recognize like this person's only thinking about themselves. So you need to make them feel like they are as important as they think they are. Yeah. You know? And so that's actually why I prefer business class because I have a smaller, um, a smaller pool of people that I have to serve, but I get a better opportunity to kind of feed that, um, those needs like those, you know, I don't know if I'm articulating that well, but, um, I get to be more personal. And so they feel like they, the individual are being served. Yeah. I mean, cabin, it's a cattle call, you know, it's just kind of like by the numbers, like, can I get you a drink? Can I get you a drink? But business class can say, how are you doing today? Yeah. You know, like there's a moment of like, where are you traveling to? Like, Oh, is this your husband? You know, I don't know if you guys been before, what are your plans? I have like an opportunity to like feed their personal needs. Sure. Yeah. How do you feel? (laughs) <laughs> in the process of serving, well, you know, do, do, you, do you actually get? Do you do you do you ever have those? I'm sure you have those off days, and you, and, and it's sort of like done automatically and done a bit routinely. Mm-hmm. But do you ever have those those days where you're you, you enter the plane and you're just in the zone, yeah, and there is that love of service and what's that like well i think that's the difference for me between serving and hosting yeah and um those are those days where i feel like i'm hosting someone you know um and like you know you travel you know what it's like on an aircraft i mean it's it's tight you know it's it's a small tube you're locked in your body's being thrust (laughs) in the air it's like very high speeds and even if you don't feel that because Mm. you know the cabin's pressurized you're it's stressful. Yeah. It's stressful. And, you know, I, I like to host. So sometimes it does feel like I'm just serving, yeah. you know, but those moments where I feel like I'm actually hosting someone, like making them feel special. Um, those, those are the moments that I, I remember why I'm a flight attendant. You That's know? interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> And how the devil are you, listeners, you humble nobilities, you luxurious monks? It's Chip Huddy here welcoming you to this, the new year, uh, roaring 2024, and to the calendar's very first edition of Chip's Loaded Questions. Let's not waste it. we got a lot to get through this one. Now, Brittany raises what I believe is a keystone idea in our understanding of ourselves and our understanding of each other. She said that everyone is basically selfish. And that her job, when she's flight hostessing, is to make people feel as special as they think they are. Now, at first glance, that's admirably professional, isn't it? That's what we want from our service people. That's what we pay them for. Well, let me tell you a story. I used to be a bartender. I really love that job. makes me smile every time I think about it. Except for this one night in particular, which sticks in my memory. So we're very busy. Uh, I finish serving one person. I turn to who I think is the next person in line. And the bloke beside him suddenly shouts at me, shouts at me. Are you serious, mate? I've been standing here for bloody ages. Now, before I have a chance to serve this guy, uh, one of the other bartenders steps up. Uh, so I carry on with the first person I was initially serving. Uh, now, this other bloke, this angry bloke, still there once I'm done serving him. So I man up. I step up to him. I say, I'm sorry, sir. I just missed you. I really do apologize. And it was like letting the vent open on a pressure cooker. He goes, thank you, mate. He's still angry, but situation diffused. And 
And I got a buzz from that, right? I saved the situation. I diffused a customer's anger. That's a job well done when you're a bartender. But here's the loaded question. Did I really do the right thing? Because I affirmed his outburst. I made him feel as important as he thought he was. And I would argue that feeling justified in having an outburst like that in public, or anywhere really, is driven by an ego that thinks it is far more important than it is. And that's not good for him. That's not good for anyone. So did I do the right thing in affirming that ego? Or do you think that there might have been a better way? Is there a difference? And I want you to hold this question in your head. Is there a difference between affirming someone's feelings, you are right to feel this way, and simply validating someone's feelings? You're not wrong to feel this way, but that doesn't make it the right way to feel. So with that in mind, did I do the right thing? Is it the right thing to do, even in a service position, to always make people feel as important as they think they are? Is it right to always affirm other people? But talking of service, you actually came here to Kathmandu, Nepal, to be served by a program. <laughs> Don't you say the F word. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> that was the O word. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't start with F. It starts with a V. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Dear listeners, you've heard of us speak about it before on the, on the podcast. It's called Vipassana. <clears throat> but Brittany was a participant amongst 100 people. I think it was 92. There was 92 men and then 92 women. Wow, okay. So it was so almost 200 Like 200 total. people. Yeah. Oh, wow, wow. And there were four leaders or gurus, whatever we want to call them. Assistant instructors. Yeah, I think they call yeah, them. instructors. The main people. My favorite people, actually. Yeah. I think they were the warmest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They looked after 200 people to take them through a 10 day silent meditative retreat called Vipassana, which my understanding is having done it the third time, it's the, it's the process of meditation that Buddha used two and a half thousand years ago to become enlightened. Shall we have an attempt at trying to describe what, what we had to go through? <laughs> trenches. Yeah, <laughs> well, the emotional mental trenches. trenches. Yeah. But the actual process of scanning the body, yeah, and dear listeners, imagine this. You, you had to close your eyes, having trained your mind to focus on the smallest part of your body, in, in this particular case, just underneath the bridge of your nose towards the, the upper lip. And the focus in that area trained the mind to just hone in on that part of the body, but here's the interesting part, at the expense of thought. <laughs> Supposedly. Consideration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We had to do that for how many days? I mean, they said 10, but it was 11. We had to you do the, know, the breathing was, part. You know, that part I'm talking yeah. about was three days. Oh, The Anapana. first three days that of was... the program. What do you call it? Anapana. Anapana. Yeah, that's the breath work that yeah. you do those first few days. We weren't even yeah. doing Vipassana for the first three days. No, we weren't. Yeah, I didn't even, you know, it's interesting. I thought the course was called Vipassana, but the meditation technique is called Vipassana, yeah. which is, yeah. 
It's interesting. The buggers were taking us on a ride. We thought we were doing Vipassana when, in oh. fact, we were doing just the, the like the kindergarten yeah, version. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we were in the pre-K of, yeah, the real deal. Yeah. And then the idea, dear people, is, is, it, is it having trained the mind to be able to hone in on and focus at the expense of thought. Could we then take that focus to the rest of the body, starting from the top of the head? Top of the head. Top of the head. <laughs> I love his accent. <laughs> Down to the… Tip the, of the toes. Tip of the, <laughs> the tip of the toes. And you had to it. focus in on all aspects of the body as you went from the top of the head visually in your mind to the tip of your toes. We're talking about the forehead. We're talking about the eyelashes, the eyebrows, the ear, earlobes, you know, the, the end of your nose. Don't I suppose go. our listeners here are listening to this and saying, well, so what? Well, you know, what was all that about? <laughs> I, I'm going to give it a crack at explaining why all that stuff is important or valuable to the Vipassana process. However, I'm aware that I think anybody could go to Vipassana, 100 people, and we'd have 100 different interpretations Absolutely. of what we do. So yeah. I want you to add value to my explanation of, okay. of what was happening. If in, the, if in our busy lives we had a month of stress, the kids are sick, my elderly parents need my attention and I have these work projects going on that are overdue and it's just everything is pulling me from left to right, up and down. It's stress, 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 stress. If I'm experiencing anything like that, I then start to get very tight in the back of the back of the neck and the shoulders. I I need I need a massage to be able to get rid of the uh, the, the the points of strain yeah. that appear. Now the point of that little story is, is that it's sort of like evidence that whatever we experience does get harboured in some way by the body. Absolutely. Now think about that for a moment, dear people. What if every Everything that we did actually turned into some form of subatomic matter. I made that up. Let's call them molecules. Um, yeah. But they're stored in the body just like a negative emotion is stored as strain and stress in the back of the neck. Now, if they're stored in the body, how are they stored? Well, Vipassana is saying, the Buddhist meditation process is saying, that when we focus in on the body now with this intense mental focus, we bring sensations to the surface of the body. Now, in a way, what are we bringing to the, to the surface? We're actually bringing the, the, the residue, the matter of all past experiences yeah. to the surface of the body and we're releasing them. It's interesting, Vipassana claims that not only is it a management tool of mind, but it's also a purification yeah. of mind. And what does this create? Well, through getting rid of the sensations, it creates the uncluttered mind, it creates a quieter mind, and it creates more space for the real you to surface and of course Vipassana would say 
that the real you is that spirit and essence of maybe a force that's greater than self. (laughs) Now, that was my interpretation, but it doesn't have to be everybody's interpretation. And I'm sure I'd have some Vipassana experts listening to this and saying, (laughs) you got it wrong, Bernie, you got it wrong. (laughs) Can I ask you, what was your interpretation of this whole sensation arising and disappearing? I am... You know, so obviously it took me as many days as the course to really like understand what the purpose was. I mean, you go into it, maybe you have some expectations, maybe you've read, you know, what you could about it, but the experience is completely different than what you are understanding cognitively. You know what I mean? Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kind of like wrapped it up when I was talking to my best friend the yesterday the following day once we left the program and I told her it was like this metaphor for not reacting. I mean, and not even a metaphor, just like learning to not react. And so we're scanning our bodies and you're feeling these sensations. Um, you know, he's, he's like, whatever you feel, feel it. Yeah. And then move on. Yeah. You know, like my neck is warm, but don't, Remove your scarf. Without you reaction know. and judgment exactly. to it. Yeah. yeah, just recognize it, observe it, yeah. and then move on. Yeah. And so doing that for so many days in your body, recognizing I itch, but I'm not going to scratch. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm hot, but I'm not going to like cool myself. I'm cold, but I'm not going to like re-wrap. I'm comfortable, but I'm not going to sink into it. Like I'm just going yeah. to recognize this is that, that's that, this is yeah. that, you know, and then not reacting. And it's, for me, it was like this metaphor for life. Yeah. Like, that sucks. Recognize that it sucks and move on. Well, I, you, <laughs> you did know? a better job than I did. That's well, a better explanation. Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't even know that I recognize this until I'm trying to explain it to my best friend. And like, yeah. bless her heart, she brings all, all the best parts of me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, of course, she brought out this like really easy way of explaining it for myself, yeah. you know, and I didn't even realize that's what I... What was that word? You know, equivalent? No, not equivalent. Equanimity. Equanimity? Yeah. So we had to I remain. Tattooed on my forehead for the mirror. <laughs> you have to remain equanimous. His, that is no reaction his to whether the voice. sensation was pleasant <laughs> or whether it was distractive or to whether it was unpleasant. And so the whole concept, even in life, how equanimous right? can we be? It's like, I, you know, I. Like someone asked me, like, what does equanimity mean? Um, a Dutch girl, yeah. because it's you know it's an English word and it's a it's an SAT word. Uh, so yeah. you know, and I was like, I think it's like for me, like narrowing your frequencies. You know, like excitement doesn't have to be this high high, and devastation doesn't need to be this low low. Yeah. Like you can be excited and devastated, but like bring it in. You know, yeah. like more narrow frequencies not everything has to be this like up and down loop you know it's not that serious yeah you know like and um that my my favorite word that he used anicca you know meaning impermanent because these feelings that you have nothing lasts forever you can be elated but it's not permanent and you can be so sad but it's not permanent and recognizing these sensations i'm not going to be itchy forever yeah. I'm not going to be hot in one place forever. I'm not going to be numb yeah. forever. You know, 
I'm not going to be cozy forever. Like everything comes and goes, ebbs and flows. And just recognizing that, that was, um, I think that was the theme for me. Like uh, just recognizing. That was actually presented to us, however, as a law of nature. Yeah. That is, that it's a truth. Yeah. Everything is impermanent. This time will pass. Mm -hmm. It is what it is for now, Mm -hmm. but it won't be that at some stage in the future. This time will pass. And of course, as a humanity, we've had examples of that, even COVID. (laughs) This time will pass. The pain that we, we, we suffer or the intense pain that we suffer maybe from uh, a loss, this time will pass. It doesn't mean that the pain is gone, but it, it appears or it dilutes in different potency exactly. as life goes on. Yeah. And it's because this time will pass that, that we can be in the moment. It, it's not going to be here yeah. you know, forever. Yeah. yeah, And we can have that equanimity. Be economist. I tell you, plenty of practice. Are you still, can you honestly say that as a result of the 10 days, you actually feel a little bit more economist? (laughs) Um, How do you feel? More economist. I don't feel economist, but definitely more economist, right? Um, It's, you know, it's a. It's a journey, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, but I think um, mostly what I feel is hopeful. Hopeful. Hopeful that I can seek equanimity, that I can achieve equanimity in whatever degree, but it is achievable. It is something attainable. Are you more hopeful now than you were before? I'm hopeful at all. I don't feel like I was feeling a lot of hope before Vipassana. Wow. I've definitely felt hope, but I don't think it was a general emotion that I entertained often. Just, you know, I think, I mean, this is like kind of a loaded comment, but I, I think I'd lost hope in myself. Now, I'm like, playing with words here. If you weren't <laughs> hopeful before, I'm just going to throw in a, a word or two. Yeah. Were you lost? Were you desperate? What were you if you weren't? Hopeful. Well, whatever I was, I still am, obviously, but uh, <laughs> to some degree, yeah, yeah, for sure. But are you but, saying um, to less degree? I would say lost and desperate, are huge themes for sure. But also, like, um, just like, I don't know, what is an antonym for hope? You know, if you don't have hope, you're like you've given up. I don't know. I hadn't given up because I came to Vipassana, obviously. Yeah, you, know? you can't say that. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, so I, it wouldn't add you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, you know, just um. Complacent. Say it one more time. Complacent. Complacent. Yeah. You know, like... Like blasé. Yes. Like, you know... Just existing. Just going through the motions. But I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not someone who just goes through the motions. I'm always yeah. seeking, like, something. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, why I ended up at Vipassana. But, yeah, definitely, like, an, an umbrella theme that I can say I have now is hope. Wow. Yeah. Is there any other benefit? That you got from Vipassana? Absolutely. Give us one. Now, give us two, because you said absolutely as if there was a lot of them. There's a lot of benefits. I mean, (laughs) give us two more benefits from this 10 day silent meditative process. um, 
self-reliance. You know, you've only got yourself. You're not talking to anyone. You're not even, well, some of us, uh, you know, you're not journaling. You're not reading. You're not taking in any information besides Vipassana. And you're not releasing any of your emotions anywhere. You're not even exercising. No yoga, no prayer, you know, they, yeah. you know, and I was adhering to the rules. So all I had to take from and give to was myself. Yeah. You know, and it's like breath. You're, you breathe in, you breathe out. Yeah. And it's all right here. And so like recognizing that I only really have myself yeah. to rely on, you know, and that. Do you feel a stronger <laughs> self to rely on as a result of the, of the, uh, of the experience? That's a really good question. Um, is your, is your self a stronger self? Can you rely more on yourself paving the way, finding the way forward and meeting whatever this hope represents? I don't think that I, I like discovered that I'm, I, okay, I don't think that I'm stronger because of Vipassana. I think I'm rec I've recognized that I've always had the strength that oh, I wow. need. Wow. Being, <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I always had the foundation I required. Yeah. I just need to stand on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. so if you weren't recognizing it before, then you must have been distracted <laughs> by oh, a lot of things. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's yeah. the opposite of my hope, distraction. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mind you, we had a coffee beforehand and you gave me some pretty good reasons as to why you you may have been, you know, distracted. Yeah. Hey, um, why don't we share with our listeners <laughs> a little bit of that incredible, um, you know, story of yours. And I think the thing that I'm learning through the, all my episodes of A Journey with Bernie, oh, by the way, and Chip. And Chip. <laughs> and Chip. We love Chip. Is I find it incredible how many people that I am meeting now who have got amazing stories in which so much of their early story is is founded and rooted in pain and chaos and trauma. I'm thinking of Donna Lee Perfect. Oh, Donna, good day, Donna. Thank you ever so much for your episode of two or three ago, because that that was just incredible to hear of the the trauma of you know watching your 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 father take your mother's life, and yet I know that your journey. I know that your journey, Brittany, um, has similar tones. Is it okay if we go back to tell us about your childhood? Go, go your pri go up to primary school. I mean, it was it what was, was it like? Tumultuous. In what way? Um, completely unstable. My mom was a drug user, and that was her priority. Our me and my younger sister, our well being was a second priority. You know, her yeah. addiction consumed all of her attention pretty yeah. much. And so we were neglected and I, I still had like, you know, happiness, but it was like, I didn't even recognize that I was neglected as a child. Like I wasn't, my needs weren't being met. Yeah. Especially emotionally. She was yeah. completely emotionally unavailable. And you know, there were days where I, I mean, I don't, you know, you kind of block these memories out, but you know, having to like 
feed yourself having to like take care of yourself as like a seven and eight year old child like that is a baby i was a baby my little sister was four years old i remember cleaning her room it's okay you want to learn responsibilities but you shouldn't have to do these things as a child yeah yeah. (laughs) you shouldn't have to and i had to i i think sometimes a little bit of detail just helps give our listeners a fraction more color of the the picture so when i say detail (laughs) What type of drugs are we talking about with mum? She was using crack cocaine. Okay, okay. Yeah. And 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 uh, where did she – was this a daily habit? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't even remember weekends. I don't even know. Don't so are you watching her ha- go I, through the course of this habit? I never saw her do drugs, thankfully. Wow. I know that my sister did, but I never saw her actually – I don't know what she smoked with but yeah. i never watched her take drugs yeah consume them. but she would pick us up from school drive to the hood the ghetto the hood you know? <laughs> did you live in the hood no no yeah. i lived in a very nice neighborhood wow okay yeah, yeah. so what she goes to the hood because a lot of equanimity where i grew up uh, huh? <laughs> but i said a lot of equanimity where i grew up <laughs> um but no i would go to the hood and she's rolling down the window handing a dude cash he's handing her a baggie you're watching this yeah, I'm sitting in the passenger seat. What did she tell you she was buying? She didn't tell us anything. I mean, she she didn't even think about us. Wow. Like, she picked us up out of sheer instinct to, like, not let your children die, you know? Yeah. And barely. I mean, she was late to pick us up all the time. You know, we're waiting outside of the school, like, waiting to be picked up. Yeah. They're calling her, calling her. She's not answering. You know, anyways, so, you know, I'm sitting in the passenger seat and begging this guy, please don't give it to her, please don't give it to her, crying. You're saying that to the drug yeah. dealer? Yeah. Can I ask you, I know it sounds a silly question. It's only my curiosity. No, what, um, how did he respond? He's got his own needs, you know. He's, he's hustling. Somewhere in his life, he ended up here. And he's, I'm sure these people feel terrible. I, I can't imagine that, I mean, unless you are like a complete sociopath, that you don't feel bad. But... He's surviving as well, you know. Could you actually see his his distortion of self in his face? It was face? always men, by the way. Pardon? <laughs> it was always men. Apologies. Apologies <laughs> no, no, to the men. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, no, my apologies know. to the men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apologies to the kids. <laughs> you can see it in their face that they are actually – there was a pain no. in their face. No, no, no. no, no. no this no? is a very quick transaction. I mean, okay. they're, not, they're not trying to get caught. You know, they're, yeah. This is like a seamless interaction, but – you know, sometimes she's got to like tell him what she wants. He's got to go get it from somebody else and come back. Wow. So she's pulled up, you know, so that, those moments, I mean, I don't know. I, I never. Was this happening twice a week, three times? I, I don't remember. Probably two or three times a week that You're I was watching this. her buy yeah, drugs. Yeah. Yeah. And what age are you at this? Uh, this was like ages seven to nine. Wow. Wow. You've you got brothers and sisters. One little sister. I had two sisters. At that time, I only had one sister. Um, right. And now I have one sister left because that sister um, actually took her own life. Um, and when, how old were you when your sister took her own life? I was 21. She was 18. Okay, okay. So we we, we were... Having this experience, you know, watching you know mum's drug habit on a on a on a daily basis, 
when you're a seven, um, wind the clock on and you're 20. How old was your sister? 18. 18 and you were 21 when you got news that your sister had taken her own life? Yeah. Was that through a drug habit? Um, no. My little sister, I think she smoked some weed here and there. But yeah. No, she was in an abusive relationship. And I think that was almost the last straw. I know that her father had really hurt her like maybe two weeks prior to that. I'm a bit lost here because you say her father, <laughs> yes. but she's your sister. We have different fathers. You have different fathers. Yeah. How many children in the family? Your so family? There were three girls. Three girls. Yeah. yeah. And we all had and different fathers. <laughs> and you all have different fathers. Yeah. Wow. That's unique. <laughs> it's typical for an addict, you know. It's, oh, okay. You know, I think that's uh, actually okay. not very unique when you, yeah. Well, dear people, you might consider this an interruption to the podcast. Not so. It is a glorious invitation. An invitation for you to join me and many, many others on that mighty trail to Everest Base Camp in Nepal. Or maybe you'd prefer to do Gokyo Lakes. Yes, you've got two choices there and both of them will not let you down. Why? Because you'll be walking under the shadow of the most powerful forces of nature upon our planet. But you're also trekking and hiking with the beautiful Sherpa, who are our guides. Are they the most peaceful tribe of people upon the planet? I think so. And they're beautifully founded in the spirit of Buddhism. Just imagine it. Nature, Himalaya, powerful forces, Sherpaism, Buddhism, all infecting and invading your soul. I'm letting you know now, dear people, you come on the mighty trek that's leaving Australia or entering Nepal on April the 3rd or 4th, 2024, and you cannot return to your home base, your country, the same person as the one who left. It is simply that powerful. Would you love to join us? Here's all you have to do. I want you to take note of this particular number. Now get a pen. I'm going to delay for a second. Three seconds I delayed for. Plus six one. Four one two. Nine eight two. Four four four. Now you text me and say that you're interested and within 48 hours I'll have delivered back to you a comprehensive information kit that gives you all the information that you will need to make an informed decision about joining us and the globe on a mighty trek to Everest Base Camp. And please remember that preceding that trek, we're also going to spend two beautiful days with 550 disabled children in Kathmandu. Yes, we built them a brand new school following the earthquakes of 2015, which shattered their classrooms. And and, and I, I, I hesitate to say this, but thankfully they did because the new school that they've got has been a, a new energy for this beautiful community called Kagandra. Dear people, come to Nepal with us where I promise you that your spirit to become that more loving human being generate greater inner happiness. It will be enhanced. Hey, let's go back to this episode of A Journey with Bernie. Are you enjoying it? Was your mum's habit 
Um, did it did it ever re- result in um, conflict with the law? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, often. Uh, elaborate. Yeah. I mean, every few months she was getting arrested. Arrested? Yeah, going to jail for, you know, one or two nights and eventually, you know, like three months, you know, nine months one time. Um, nine months? Which I looked forward to because she was sober. You know, I'd speak to her on the phone while she was in jail and it was like, she was so clear-minded and it's like, wow, I can really talk to her. Did you ever visit her in jail? No, not as a child, no. Wow. Yeah. You weren't allowed to? Um, or my, I guess my family just protected us from that. Okay. You know, I think my little sister... It's so weird because people think that someone younger like doesn't remember these things, but yeah. obviously that stayed with her, right? Because yeah. she eventually freed herself of all of those. Um, when you say your family didn't wanted to protect you, who, who do you mean by I mean, family? We had, you know, we had a team. My grandmother. Oh, I see. Was helpful. I mean, she has her own demons, but yeah. my grandmother, you know, picked up the slack a lot. I, my father was present, um, so. He wasn't consistent, but he was there, you know. My but he wasn't in the household, was he? No, no. How was he present to you then? He was picking me up on the weekends, you know, giving me like a normal childhood. You know, we're going to the zoo, we're going to the aquarium, we're going to museums, like we're going to theme parks. And he would take you, you know? and all your sisters? No, just me. Pardon? Just me. Just you? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, sometimes he took my little sister with us, but I think... It's interesting. I think there was an understanding that, like, he couldn't parent her. Yeah. Um, and he was definitely in her life, you know, but it wasn't to the degree that he was in mine. And I think, I, I, I'll be honest, I think he probably still feels some guilt that he couldn't pick up the slack. But I don't even think my father had the resources to be a father for two girls. Yeah. Let alone yeah. one that wasn't his. You know, I, I just, he, you know, he, after him and my mom separated, he was a single guy. He had yeah. girlfriends, but he was a single man. He had a very tiny apartment, you know, like, um, you know, he was a single guy. Yeah. Downtown San Francisco. You yeah. Know? He managed a band that played in nightclubs. I mean, he had a, a single man's life. Sure. You know? Yeah. What about your your sisters and and their fathers? Did their fathers appear for them? No. And so, in a way, uh, you're a little bit fortunate that you, in the luck of the draw, you had a dad. A lot of survivors actually, still, yeah. <laughs> actually, was was very happy to take on. Oh, gee, I, I don't like the word ownership, but the responsibility yeah, of, no, saying, of, yeah. <laughs> of, of, yeah. of reaching out to you yeah. and being a father a to father. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But your other two sisters were devoid of that. No, they did not have that. But grandmother, grandmother she did, took her a, best. did her best, she did her best to keep the family together while mum may have been spending a little bit of um, uh, leisure time behind bars. My grandma tried, you know, but um, eventually Child Protective Services did get involved and our household dissolved. Um, Dissolved? Yeah. We ended up in foster care. Um, I I was in foster care very briefly. Um, Yeah. My little sisters had a long stint in foster care. My my youngest sister was adopted out of our family. Um, My dad picked up the slack, though. He moved me in with him. Let me understand that because she also is younger sister who took her life, but she she's had didn't took her rescued. own life, and yet she's had this experience of being 
part of the environment, the, the drug-riddled environment, a, a mother behind bars, a father who wasn't present, and then she was part of a foster care system. I tell you what, she didn't have a lot going for her, did she? She got the short end of every story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, do you, um, you I, I'm, I'm watching your beautiful face at the moment and, and you know, feeling, you know, the, the pain of, of her journey. Um, your, my guess is you're um, around about 14 or 15 years later after that moment where your sister did take her life. You're still experiencing this so very potently. Do you, do you do you do you carry res in your own mind? Do you you carry responsibility? Of course. You said, "Of course." I feel like guilty. Pardon? I feel guilty. Like I feel like like why? I don't. It's so hard. Um, take your time here. Yeah. It's hard. I um. You like say, of why, course. Like, oh, why did I deserve to be saved and not her? You know, like, oh, it wasn't just, I mean, it's not even just that, like, her dad wasn't there. It wasn't that she was younger when this happened, so her, like, developmental years were more compromised. It was like, she even had, like, a learning disability. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, she was darker skinned than me. She was treated differently because of that. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, like so I, she had she, that too. Yeah, like I, I, her hair was more coarse than mine. Like little things that were just, like things that make life harder. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you don't want to like, you don't want to admit it, but like, nappier hair, darker skin, like people yeah. treat you differently. You have a learning disability. People, you know, and here I am, like. I'm in like the gifted program and I'm being like coddled, you know, and like we modeled and I, I was always booking shoots and stuff and like, she's not getting as much work, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it just, why did I get so lucky? And then here's my dad and like, you know, I'll save you. Like, no, my daughter's not going to be in foster. And he didn't, again, he didn't have the resources to take care of two girls. Yeah. And like, I know he wishes he could have, you yeah. know, but he, he couldn't. And like, and he, he didn't even, I don't even know that he had the right to, right? Like, I don't even know, like, legally if he could have, he would have had to, like, yeah. go through, you know what I mean? There's a lot That's of red right. tape to just take a child that isn't your own, yeah. you know? And, you know, meanwhile, my mom is fighting to have her own children, let alone, like, letting my dad take, I don't know. And then, you know, she did end up with her father, actually, for a while, but he wasn't. He wasn't there. He was like dropping her off at his grandmother's house, who was like in her nineties. Yeah. And I know that like she was like eleven and twelve at that point, and she's like smoking weed, like very young, like hanging out after dark. Wow. At the basketball. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember she was writing me letters because I had moved to Seattle with my father. Yeah. And she was saying like, these boys are touching me, and I don't know what to do, and I just miss talking to you about these things, and I wish, you know, I could get advice from you and. I didn't know what to tell her, you know, because I was a child too. Like, yeah. 
I'm like 15 years old. I'm still like, I'm still growing up. I, it was just, you know, and I just. When did you start a recognition that you, you somehow wanted to escape all this pain or change the meaning of this pain and go in search of something else other than just existing in this pain? I was suicidal. Right. I um I I strongly Re considered taking my own life. It, it, and, and this is recent. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Just like, and a few days later, that's when I applied for the vipassana. Wow. And um, you know, like I, and you know, I heard about vipassana several years ago yeah when i was traveling in india yeah and it's so interesting because like i'm in this like desperate state like this devastating state where i'm like i'm never not gonna feel sad and i was like i need something because i don't want i don't want to die yeah and it it occurred to me yeah. you know i remember hearing about something that might help yeah. <laughs> you know, right at the moment, I'm at a loss. <laughs> I don't know whether to put a pause on the oh. pause on the whole program. No, or, no just, let's just yeah. keep it going. But yeah. I'm just announcing to our listeners that, you know, the one thing I, 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 okay, I refuse okay. to present myself at is a therapist. No, or, this is not about answers. This is about a story and, and understanding. Remember, the, the, the podcast is all about joy, love, yeah. and meaning. Yeah? But how can we talk about joy, love, and meaning if we can't talk about the other end of it, yeah. <laughs> which is the, the pain and the chaos and the desperateness and, and the forces of all of that, which can actually lay down a foundation that when we reframe it, can actually be a stimulus for us discovering. I think I heard you say the word before hope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for hope. Yeah. 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 Because I was hopeless. You were hopeless? I was hopeless. I, I thought that the only way to escape this pain was to remove myself from. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, it's crazy because it's not like Vipassana solves all your problems, you know, and like, no, <laughs> you know, Asen Gwenka like reinforces this. He's like, this is not going to get rid of your pain, but it is a way to recognize that the pain comes and it goes. It yeah. doesn't just yeah. stay, you yeah. know, it comes and it goes and don't be attached to your pain. Yeah. Mm. Don't be attached to your pain. I think I'll make that one my next tattoo. Listeners, it's Chip again, and I've got one more loaded question for you this episode, and it's centered around that maxim that Brittany just gave us. Don't be attached to your pain. Simple, profound, game-changing. But like all game changes, it's not easy, is it? Pain gets into you. It's sticky. It's how humans are built. Optimists 
probably didn't do well in the days of saber-toothed cats. We had to remember the things that hurt us so that they couldn't hurt us again. So pain sticks. And because it sticks, it's so easy to make the mistake of thinking it's a part of us, isn't it? It's something we are, not something we have. We all know someone who identifies so strongly with their pain that they don't want to let it go. And let's be honest, we all are that person too. Each of us has a pain we've become attached to. So here's the loaded question. Is that attachment right? Is holding on to that pain the right thing to do, the right way to feel? Or are we affirming an unhealthy reaction to something? Do you see where I'm going with this? That's right back to my first loaded question about affirmation versus validation. Let's ask ourselves if we can move beyond affirming our pain, I'm right to feel this hurt, to simply validating our pain. I'm not wrong to feel this hurt, but that doesn't make it the right way to feel. How can we let go of affirmation and embrace validation? You don't need to be attached to your pain. You, you are your own therapist. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I mean, right? Because that's what it forces you to do. Wow, yeah, I just heard know. it now. Yeah, I just you, heard it now. Yeah, you're not allowed yeah. to talk to your therapist at the yeah. Pasana. <laughs> you have to be your own. You're not even allowed to journal. You know? yeah. yeah. You know, I hope you don't mind me saying this. And not again, I've already thanked this woman once in this podcast, but I'm going to mention... Donna Lee perfect because of the the similarity uh, in not in actually what happened in her life is exactly the same as happened in yours but the the trauma and the pain and the chaos uh, there is a similarity of the depth of it and she said something beautiful in her episode she actually got a point in her life where she realized that all these things happened to her, not because of her. <laughs> it is a hard thing to believe intrinsically. Yeah. When you are, it, you don't want to victimize yourself. Yeah. But you have to give yourself grace and recognize that you were a victim. And yeah. it is really, really hard not to take responsibility for your own pain. Like, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a, it's a difficult concept to grasp Yeah, that you didn't deserve the pain. No. You know, that you didn't earn this pain. And you didn't attract it. You didn't, you had no choice. Like it was. Yeah. It, it was your environment. Yeah. But and it wasn't you. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's a hard concept to, yeah. it's strange. And that is what causes the pattern of pain is not believing that it wasn't your fault. Yeah. I, I can't help but feel that the, 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 it, it almost, when you speak about your mother, you can still see so much good and so much value. And yet, forgive me, we haven't even told the listeners yet, your mother is no longer with you because her, her drug habit finally won Yeah, and it she, took her life. Yeah, Yeah, she got off of street drugs and then she picked up a pill habit and she eventually overdosed on um, some pills. Yeah. 
And how old were you when that event came into your life? 29. 29. It's two months before my 30th birthday. Yeah. So we're talking about six or seven years ago. Oh, yeah. 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 Six years yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. You did the Camino. I did. <laughs> what is the Camino? The Camino de Santiago is a pilgrimage from varying parts of Europe to Santiago de Compostela, yeah. the cathedral in the northwestern Galician region of Spain. Yeah. Um, and you walk and you carry your own things and you walk to that cathedral. How far did you walk? I did 31 days. I did the French way, which is the most traditional way. Yeah. Uh, so I started in San Jean Pied de Port. I walked about 800 kilometers, or as the song says, Not 500 about. You miles. You walked 800 I, kilometers. Yeah, I walked 800 <laughs> kilometers. Yeah. I crossed the Pyrenees on day one. Yeah. On day one. Yeah. Did you um, do all full 30 kilometers on day one? Yeah. You didn't stop at that um, nope. the place that starts with O, where they offer the only oh, albergue. Nope. You know? I went to Ranzas You went straight across the, the Straight Pyrenees. across. The windiest hike of my life. I thought I was going to get knocked off of that mountain. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I went from San Juan Pir de Port yeah. um, to Ranzas Valles on day one, listening to an artist called Alan Raymond. I listened to his album all day that day. Were you walking with people? <laughs> Um, I started with a few people. Yeah. Um, I met some other people and the first couple of days we were all together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, you know, you're, you, you have waves on the Camino. Sometimes you want to walk with other people yeah. or chit chat. And some days you want to wake up a few minutes early and be completely alone the whole day. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. There were a couple of days where I didn't want to stay in the city that everyone was staying in. So I would walk like maybe one extra kilometer yeah. to get to a next albergue, albergue and then yeah. meet up with them that next yeah. night just to be alone. And yeah, it's really interesting. Did you, did you feel that suffering and that experience of loneliness? No. Oh God. The Camino was utopian. That was the only other experience in my life. I think that comes close to Vipassana because you are, self-reliant right yeah you can only bring what you can carry um you you know your body is what's carrying you yeah and you know you you're in your own thoughts a lot on the camino you know there's yeah. not a lot of um distraction especially if you don't welcome it and i i mean i remember going in i was going through a bad breakup and i remember going into the camino thinking i'm gonna get over this breakup i'm gonna i have a month and i'm gonna like let it go I was over that breakup on day two. <laughs> I didn't think about that man the rest of the Camino. Yeah. I I mean, it was a miracle. Yeah. I can't say the same for Vipassana. Yeah. He is still in my life, and I spent a lot of time in Vipassana thinking about him. But the Camino was like, you know, again, self-reliance. But, you know, it, it fades, and you have to keep. Yeah. You have to keep doing these things that fill your bucket, you know? Yeah. Um, and like the Camino, you can, you can do it again. And yeah. Vipassana, you can continue to you meditate, yeah. and, you know, and you can keep doing it. And like, I'm at an age now where like, I can't waste time. I have to keep doing these things so that I can oh. maintain, you know, because I, I'm, I'm ripe. 
<laughs> you, you may be right, but you can do a lot in five years. Oh, you can do a lot in 10 days. <laughs> yeah, you, well, you, well said. Really well said. Really well said. You know, and I mean, Vipassana, we know you can do a lot in one hour. Yeah. You know, so. Um, and you can do a lot, therefore, in one hour every day. Yeah. If, for example, that meditation process is part of your daily routine. Yeah, that's the plan, right? That's the plan. <laughs> yeah. But it's got to become habit. And there's lies the challenge. It yeah. is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't done it since we left. I, I can't lie. I haven't. <laughs> I listened to him on Spotify, actually. <laughs> we're having a break. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, a vacation from meditation. <laughs> I want oh. to come back to the Camino. Can I share my experience yes, on the Camino? Because I want to hear whether you had a similarity. Okay. As I went, as I journeyed on, I, I, I found periods where I went from loneliness at the start to enjoying my aloneness. Yeah. <laughs> and they're two different states, aren't they? Yeah. You, you, your head's going up and down at the moment <laughs> as if to say, yeah, I understand that because loneliness was a need and it, it needed to manifest itself through an interaction or a connection with someone else. But aloneness was a joy of being with self. Well, it's the difference between loneliness and solitude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it's just the changing of the vocabulary changes the yeah. emotional yeah. implication of it because your solitude, you can value. Loneliness hurts. Yeah. You know? It pays to have a little bit of trust and faith. A lot. <laughs> in, in people. Yeah. And, and yet be aware that at times some will let you down. Nobody let me down on the Camino. That's in, yeah, yeah. That's the power of the environment. Yeah. Isn't it? You know, yeah. power of the, maybe the commonality even of purpose. Yeah. And, and possibly even of like values. Definitely. A, lo a lot of people would carry like values. I, I think there would be some overlapping reasons as to why the majority of people are doing it. <laughs> This is like a chicken or the egg moment, right? Like, yeah. like, are good people coming to the Camino or are people good because they're on the Camino? Yeah. You know, because it is like, I, I don't know if you saw this sign, but there was a sign. It was like, if every politician in the world did the Camino, imagine what a good place you this world what? would be, Jeez. you know? Yeah. Because it really does bring out the best in you. You know what? I, for me, it brought off the best in me. My like, listeners are going to laugh at this, really. But I, 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 <laughs> I can't when wait. When I hear a little gem, okay, right, I always get my guests to repeat it. Okay. What did you just say about politicians and the Camino? If every politician did the Camino, yeah, the world would be a much better place. <laughs> because what would politicians learn if they did the Camino? That they are one of us. <laughs> <laughs> F word. <laughs> it's you know wow. that they're they are not superior. They are they have two legs. They eat and poop the same as everyone else. You, that's good. You this know, is good. They need it. <laughs> that should good. be a, that should be like a ritual that you have to do yeah. to even. You should have to do vipassana and the camino to even yeah. apply to run for any kind of yeah. office or position of yeah. power. <laughs> uh, hey, Brittany, um, this has been, darling. This has been one heck of a a discussion. A Thank you so oh, much. I don't know whether we should call it a discussion. 
First of all, you've got to be thanked for sharing so openly, so rawly, and so vulnerably. Thank you. But um, be, be aware that even in this short time of me doing these podcasts, I've become aware of the millions of people who go through life and they do suffer tremendous trauma in their life. So I honestly believe that the gift that you've given our listeners, there will be people who can relate with the potency of trauma that you have, you've been talking about today. Yeah. But if it's out there, then you two are giving them hope by talking about it. But I just want to say, I'm looking at a face now that's got a heck of a lot more <laughs> glow yeah, and joy nice. about it than the face that was surfacing regularly during, even during this discussion. I'm actually seeing a face right now and the girl's got hope. Absolutely. In in her face. Yeah. But she's got hope in her spirit because that's what's flowing through now. Yeah. I feel good. Is that does that description resonate with you? Am, am I Absolutely. describing what I'm seeing? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well all I can do is 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 thank you again. For all that you shared. Thank you. JJ, you won't know JJ, but JJ, <laughs> I think you've been matched. <laughs> Who's JJ? Is that? I got to watch possibly, JJ. Possibly an episode in which uh, the great man, after it. Vipassana, JJ. <laughs> same thing, after Vipassana. JJ just shared incredibly uh, vulnerably, and, and the episode just got so many. Uh, Likes and ticks and, and, and approvals and feedbacks. Bless you. Brittany? Yeah. Thank you, darling. So appreciative. Thank you so much. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. Congratulations. It's an episode, ladies and gentlemen, of hope. Yeah. It's an episode of Brittany. Oh, give us that last name again. Rojas. Rojas. <laughs> it's an episode Rojas. from A Journey with Bernie and. Benny. No, no. <laughs> Chip. Chip. Chip, we apologise, Chip. Chip. She just called you Bing. Hilarious. I'm taking your job, Chip. Cheers, folks. Well, good people, what did you think of that? Uh, I don't know about you, but I just loved it. But I continue to love these stories and these journeys of people's lives that can give to us strategies and actions and routines and and disciplines and ways of seeing the world, all of which can help us to become more loving human beings, happier ones too. And listening intently is the chipster, Chip Lachlan Huddy, our editor and producer. And as promised, He's about to deliver Chip's take-home pay, a four-minute summary of all the goodness and the gold that we just heard over the last hour. Hey, take it away, Chip. Thanks, Bern. He's a gentile, Bernie, isn't he, listeners? He's a good egg. I like him. I think I'll let him stay. Now, the take-home pay. 
Uh, there's a lot to take away from Brittany's episode, not least of which her diabolically beautiful voice. Good Lord, woman. Give a man a chance. But also her resilience. Um, her thoughtfulness, her extraordinary command of words. But what stuck with me the most, okay, what spoke to me the most was her conscious refusal to give in to complacency. Here's a woman who came from such painful circumstances, who clearly still carries the burden of that pain, and who is not content to let that pain occupy the driver's seat. So she did the Vipassana. She did other things that she alluded to but didn't go into. And then she comes on our podcast to elucidate her experience so that we can all be the beneficiaries of her story. She is getting amongst it, man. Now, it looks to me like she's really seen and internalized that paradox at the heart of the spiritual life, which is that to achieve stillness of mind, you have to move. You have to come in out of the storm of pain and chaos and emotion. Now, if we're struggling with past pain, if we're attached to our pain, if we're affirming our pain, it looks impossible to come out of the storm. It looks like our pain will never let us go. When we're in this thought trap, and I should know, okay, I've been there and I'll probably be there again, we can attempt techniques like reframing the experience into something benign or something beneficial or something that was just part of our journey. But it's so hard because when you're in that thought trap, all you can see of that experience is the pain. All it's giving you is the pain. You don't have enough to draw a new border, let alone a whole frame. So what do you do? How do you start? Well, here's what worked for me. First, let's set the stage. Uh, this was something that happened back when I was in high school many, many moons ago uh, in year 11. Uh, I was in a group of friends and we were bantering and joking and shit talking. And I cracked a mean joke about one of the girls there, Janine, let's call her. I cracked a joke about Janine's cup size. Yeah, yeah, I was a classy boy. Uh, anyway, she laughed it off, uh, but you could see it. it. It really hurt her. And so, you know, I apologized later. I did what I could. And she was fine because she's a smart, secure girl. But I'd already begun this process of self-flagellation, you know. I was just so merciless to myself, so unyielding. Why the hell did you say that? What the hell is wrong with you? God, you're a piece of shit, Chip. And that was the self-talk around that memory for 10, 15 years. And that was the self-talk around that memory for 10, 15 years. I'm not trying to say I didn't deserve to feel a little bit guilty, but this level of, as I say, self-flagellation was a bit ridiculous. And I knew it was a bit ridiculous. So I tried reframing it. I tried reframing it a bunch of ways. First, I said to myself, look, you screwed up and it's right to feel guilty when you screw up. So it's fine to feel a bit guilty. So complete affirmation of my shame. Uh, and as you can imagine, this did nothing to ease the self-recrimination. So next I tried the usual. You were just a kid. You made a stupid mistake. Get over it. Except the memory was still so vivid to me that that kid who'd made that cruel joke, still felt like me. I had no distance from him. So I couldn't get the separation I needed to really get over it. And on top of that, now there was another part of me that was beating me up for beating myself up so much over something that had happened so long ago. So not only was there no progress, now I'm backsliding. So clearly something had to change. Here's what changed. I listened to a few podcasts. I read a few psychology books. I did some research and I discovered the difference between affirmation and validation. 
And with that in mind, I moved the self-talk from you screwed up and you are right to feel ashamed to you're not wrong to feel ashamed, but is this shame the right thing to feel? And suddenly there was distance. And what comes with distance? Perspective. And what does the Dalai Lama say about perspective? It's one of the great gifts we all possess but scarcely use. And because I've been so caught up in my shame, I hadn't been able to use perspective until I shifted from affirmation to validation. And here's what that perspective showed me. I wasn't wrong to feel ashamed. Perfectly understandable response to my mistake. But ashamed was not the right way to feel and certainly not the right way to feel anymore. That shame was like a hot coal that I'd been carrying around in my bare hand and just refusing to drop to the ground. And that perspective that validation gave me is what allowed me to allow myself finally to let go of that shame, let go of that hot coal and come in from the storm. The reason it allowed me to do that was because it allowed me to reframe not the experience itself, because the memory was too powerful. I'd made it loom too large in my imagination, but it allowed me to reframe the feeling as something I was having, not something that was a part of me. It was a simple, profound shift in thinking that returned control to my hands or, or, as Brittany so perfectly put it this episode, it showed me that I always had the foundation. It showed me that I always had the foundation. I just needed to stand on it. So stay with me for the step-by-step friends and neighbors. One, affirmation to validation. Two, validation to release. Three, release to motion. And four, motion to stillness. All right, that's all from me, beautiful people. I'm Chip Huddy. This has been Chip's Take Home Pay, and I do hope you found some pay worth taking home. As always, my friends, Auf Wiedersehen. Ah, that was gold, dear people. That was Lachlan Huddy and Chip's Take Home Pay. Simple strategies, aren't they? Just humble suggestions taken specifically from this episode. And you know and I know that if we implement them into our lives, it's just going to help us to be happier, a more beautiful human being and a more loving one at that. And who doesn't want that happening in their lives? Oh, dear people, I do hope this episode of A Journey with Bernie had a positive impact upon you. I can't wait to deliver the next one. Hey, it's just around the corner. Please enjoy this journey of life. Embrace this journey. And in the meantime, dear people, just remember this. Remember this.